Welcome to the Questions for the Sages podcast. I'm Michael Scherer. Today I spoke with Manaram Das, who is from Alachua, Florida. He works at the website Krishna.com, and as part of the youth ministry, is driving a bus full of Hare Krishna teenagers to festivals across the country and the continent. His wide-ranging experiences have given him many insights into the Hare Krishna movement. You can hear the Questions for the Sages podcast on questionsforthesages.com, the Questions for the Sages Facebook page, iTunes, and on YouTube. Thanks to the Hare Krishna community of Potomac, Maryland, for making this podcast possible. Welcome to Questions for the Sages, a podcast from the Washington, D.C. area. I'm Michael Scherer, and today I'm speaking with Manoram Das. Manoram. Manoram Das. And we've just met, and you're passing through. Yes. You're not a regular at ISCON of D.C., no. the Washington, D.C. area. But where are you from? Um, I live in Alachua, Florida, at our Hare Krishna community there. And I work at Krishna.com, a big website project. And I also help with our youth ministry. So during the summertime, we take our kids traveling all over North America, visiting temples and festivals. How many kids? We have 30 people on our bus right now. Oh, yeah. And how many of those are adults? And how well, many are... 30 kids and six adult chaperones. So. Okay. You... Kids means ages 12 through 16. They're, you know, we, we have the girls tour, and um, in a week from now, we're going to take the boys tour traveling for five weeks. Oh, yeah? Traveling to Montreal, Toronto, Calgary, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Rathiatras. And what do you do at each destination once you get there? Well, we, we visit temples, so a lot of the youth haven't seen the temples before, so we, st uh, you know, we spend a couple of days at the temple. We also go to national parks and do some camping along the way. Hmm. And then we have our big festivals, the big festival of chariots in all of those cities, so we kind of just follow the festival and you know, do a big tour around the country. So what's life like in Alachua, Florida? So you're, you're working at Krishna.com. Are you... Programming? Are you are you coming up um, with material for the website? Coming up with material for the website, supervising the others that work there. I'm um, the manager there, basically. And um, yeah, we have a, a yeah, two sections to the website. There is the outreach section that has basically Krishna's teachings, and we try to promote that to people on the internet who may live far away from temples and they have no access. And we have a gift shop where they can purchase things like meditation beads and books, Bhagavad Gita, things like that. So we run the gift shop and we run the, the website, hmm. coming up with new content and interesting material to post. Oh, yeah? How long have you been doing that? Uh, 15 years. Oh, yeah? yeah. Has, and what, what's happened over the past 15 years? Has it grown a lot? Has it it's, changed? It's grown, it's changed, it's morphed along with the internet, you know, technologies moving changing so that's always a challenge for us you know as soon as we settle on anything a year later the technology has moved on and you know mm -hmm. constantly having to rebuild the back-end structure that supports it all because of you know changing technology um, also the social media scene has really taken off so we really you know we're learning that it's not so much that people come to your website anymore. No, you have to go where the people are and reach them in all of the different social media networks that they hang out in and, and kind of get the message out and then maybe refer back to the website for articles or read yeah. more, that kind of thing. How do you judge how you're doing? 
on that? <clears throat> well, like, we, have our, we have statistics, Google Analytics, hmm. and we can see how many people are visiting, how many people are coming for the first time that are new visits, how, how long they stay, what pages they go to, how, you know, how long they spend on each page. Mm -hmm. So we have those kinds of statistics. And, you know, it, it's a little bit of a catch-22 for us because the name Krishna.com Krishna.com attracts a lot of interest from, you know, your home crowd, basically, people who are already searching for Krishna on the internet. Mm -hmm. So, and we're trying to reach new people. So it's, it's a challenge for us how to speak in a way and present Krishna consciousness and the teachings of Lord Krishna to a brand new audience who doesn't know anything about Krishna, yet most of the visitors are people who already know, you know, and they're just typing Krishna into Google because mm -hmm. you know, they want to find out, you know, what's out there. Well, the the traditional way is Harinam, right? Harinam, for sure. But I mean, in, in this case, I mean, how do you do Harinam on the internet? You know? Well, yeah. So, how to do that on the internet and how to make Kirtan accessible for people as far as Kirtan downloads or, you know, just the Maha Mantra and trying to get the explanation out there. And yeah. Do you concentrate, you know, I... I do you have a sort of a development program for musicians so that people can do kirtans well hmm. we're just you know I, I just saw what they're doing in Radhadesh in Belgium at the Bhaktivedanta College there they've just started a kirtan course and I'm very interested in it because you know it's right along that line yeah kind of training people on how to do kirtan well especially in a public presentation you know sing tunes that people can follow you know like yeah you know, and just like the philosophy behind it and why, why we do what we do. Well, might you incorporate that? It'd be an interesting thing, yeah. I mean, we're definitely talking about online courses. You know, what, hmm. what can we do on Krishna.com that offers a service to our, our audience? You know, who, most of the people who are regulars, they don't live near a temple, so they use Krishna.com as an access somehow. Yeah. We, um, many years ago, started posting live webcams at different temples around the world. And that's kind of still a very popular section of our site. People who want to just kind of check in to see what it's like without actually ever going into a temple, you know, <laughs> just kind of get, get a feel yeah. for it, you know. You know, I interviewed uh, a couple of months ago Sugopi Devi Dasi, mm. who was starting uh, what she called Kirtan Academy. Okay. Which was just that, to, nice. to get people in to, to introduce them to Kirtan, but also to sort of develop mm. talent. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you've been, you said Krishna.com has been going on for 15 years. What is that? Have you been at Krishna.com for 15 years? Yeah, I, I was there from the beginning. Not always, you know, I, I kind of, they brought me in as a web developer to, you know, create the website and do some graphic work. And over the years, the uh, middle management and upper management has moved on to other things. And, you know, the people who were at the, Grassroots kind of rose up, and so now I'm I'm the manager there, and some of the people that I've worked with forever and ever are in you know other positions, having to supervise other people. It's, mm. it's it's interesting to see that change over the years and how the generation has kind of shifted. Um, and it's challenging. I'm trying to now bring in other young people and have meetings with them and say, how do you use the internet you mm. know, to get the word out or to you know share Krishna consciousness you know through yeah. through your circles? 
the kids nowadays they're into you know all these apps on their on their smart devices and I'm like how do you how do you use Snapchat to spread Christian consciousness I'm like you know I'm trying to figure it out yeah <laughs> you know I, stay I, on the curve to try to you know there seems out. to be a reversal uh, that we're living in right now and I, it's probably temporary but I'm not sure where in any 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 room the youngest person there probably has a, the best understanding of technology, yeah. of current technology. And it seems to me that's the reverse of what historically it's always been, yeah. you know? So it's sort of an upending of the... Um, Especially in a technological age when you're dealing with, you know, internet and websites and, and you know, that kind of media. You, you yeah. just have to have young people around that are using it. And it's not like they're planning what they do. They're following just basic primitive impulses that lead them right. to things like yeah. Snapchat and I mean, Instagram. They're, they're using it much more than I am, you know, and I'm, what, you know, maybe 15, 20 years older than them. And so just by using it, they, they have a feel for it and they know, oh yeah, you should be doing this and you should, mm -hmm. and hashtag this and hashtag that. <laughs> and they're amazed that you don't know, of course. Right? They're like, you know, well, what do you mean you don't? Some of the young people that I travel with on the bus tour right now that we take around the country, they're, they're talking to each other, hashtag this and hashtag that. It's part of their language. <laughs> I'm like, really? Is that how people talk yeah. nowadays, you know? Yeah. Hashtag OMG. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Or hashtag, you know, great food at the Washington, D.C. Christian mm. temple or whatever. Yeah. So how is Florida? Florida is uh, very hot and humid during the summer. Mm -hmm. So we're happy to get away from all of that and travel right. up north, even though it's still hot and humid here. But yeah. We just came from Vermont, actually. The, the uh, kids were camping up there, so that was nice, uh, cooler weather. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, yeah, then when we we were going back, we're on our way back to Florida, switching the groups, taking the boys on tour for five weeks, and we will be going all across Canada, and we always look forward to that. It's really nice, pleasant mm -hmm. weather in the summertime in Canada. Yeah, going camping in the Rocky Mountains and you know, some of the beautiful places we visit. And how many years have you done this? I've actually been doing the youth ministry and the summer tours longer than Krishna.com. I've started in 1995 so wow 22 years and how what did, how do you feel when you start compared to when you're done with the trip hmm well, that's interesting well we always have high hopes and expectations you know at every trip and we plan everything out and try to do the best we can to make sure that we have a plan for every day but just to kind of observe the difference between what what we plan and what actually happens is not always you know the same and, and just depends on circumstance and weather and you know just situations sometimes the bus has mechanical issues or whatever and we get delayed for a day or two yeah so and then as far as our expectations for the young people that travel with us we're trying to imbibe in them some sort of appreciation for the culture and and you know devotional um, I guess heritage that they've grown up with because a lot of them are coming from a, a place of growing up in it and taking it for granted they're not really you know appreciating Krishna consciousness yet you know just it's like something my parents do or I go to the temple on Sundays my you know my parents make me go to the temple but growing up in it they you know they haven't owned it yet it's not 
part of you know who they are and what they want to do and so to to be there right at that moment in their uh, teenage development when they're starting to you know ask those questions and want to figure things out on their own amongst peers amongst friends who are doing the same thing you know these are all kids who all grew up in the Hare Krishna movement and they're all the same age roughly mm -hmm. so to meet them and to to say, oh, there's other kids who do this besides m my parents well, you know, and I. You know? it, it's sort of surprising somewhat to me that you can get this many kids together mm -hmm. who know nothing but growing up as a Hare Krishna. Yeah. Like this, so there's a lot of big families enough, out we're, there. We're big enough in North America, I think, that we can get at least 30 of these kids, 12 to 16-year-olds, you know, to travel together for a month on a bus. Now... Were you born into the Hare Krishna movement? No, I came when I was six years old. My mother joined when I was six. Okay. Many years ago. Where was that? That was in Germany. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. She was uh, a yoga teacher, actually, in Germany, and she had a yoga student who somehow picked up one of the... Uh, the Srimad Bhagavatam, actually, one of the cantos, second canto at a flea market. And he thought, oh, it's about bhakti yoga, and what's bhakti yoga all about? And, you know, my mother was his yoga teacher, so he took it back to her and said, hey, check this out. I don't know what this book is about. There are no yoga poses in it. But mm -hmm. And so she read it, and at the end of it, she was crying tears of happiness, and she called the temple and said, I want to join, you know. Well, was that a, was the temple nearby? No. She was living in the south of Germany, and the nearest temple at that time was Frankfurt, right in the middle of Germany. So, so we, she called Frankfurt and said, I want Frankfurt, to come live with yeah. you? Well, she basically wanted to talk to the author, to Srila Prabhupada, mm. but he had just passed away. This was January 1978, and Srila Prabhupada had left in 77, November. So she uh, was a little disappointed, and then spoke to Harikesh Swami at the time, and... Uh, we made an a, a appointment to visit the temple. We went during summer vacation in 1978, and we spent um, about a month at the temple in Frankfurt. They had a, a castle at the time. So those were my earliest memories of. And you remember that of the Hare Krishna temple and the Hare Krishna movement. Well, it was a castle. It was a castle. It was impressive. You know, even as a child, I remember just walking up to it and this massive structure, and and the temple room and the deities and all of these devotees who had just shaved their heads it was time for initiation I guess and, and I walked into a temple room and, and I'd never seen a bald shaved you know I mean I'd seen bald people but not like this you not know, young bald like people. young bald people all shaved up and I just had this vision of like all these gray sculpts and, and like mm. what is this and, and the deities on the altar and, and the incense and just that environment and walking into that as a young child and just you know, being intrigued by it Somehow I still have those those memories. Did you make any friends when you were there? Um, I, we went with my younger brother, who's two years younger than me, and uh, there w I think there was only one other kid at the temple at the time, uh, a couple years older, named Vishnaduta, and we made friends with him, and later I was friends with him also in school. When mm -hmm. I, went to, uh, I ended up going to a Hare Krishna boarding school in India for two years in Vrindavan and uh, went with him. So, was this voluntary? Or was this, your mother was, was convinced that this was good for you? Yeah, you know, your parents want to 
do what's best for what they think is best for the child. So we were just tagging along, and my mother was, you know, joining this Hare Krishna movement. So, so even so, you stayed for a month in the castle yeah. in, in Fra Frankfurt, mm -hmm. and then you returned back, but sort of uh, started to incorporate the practices and Correct, the lifestyle. Yeah. yeah so uh, when we went back home. My mother um, had us, my brother and I, chant one round of japa of the Hare Krishna mantra every afternoon before we went to play with our friends, you know, and things like that, just, to, you know, incorporating some of the uh, philosophy and practices. And I remember some uh, devotees coming to visit us and organizing a program at our house. And my mother invited my teacher from school and, you know, the mayor and other people in our small little town. So it was quite an interesting home program. Were they receptive? I, or do you I, remember? I, I mean, I would hope so. I don't, you know, I don't remember their reaction. I was too young at the time. But I would imagine that you remember going to Vrindavan. I do. I mean, that was um, that would have been quite a oh. shift. Yeah, it was. I was stepping off the airplane and just the, the different smells and the sights and sounds of India and everything. It was a huge culture shift, and uh, yeah, and just life in a boarding school. Just uh, you know, you don't expect it as a kid. I mean, you you wake up one day and you got you're like, where is my mother? Where are my mm. parents? You know, and you yeah. realize that they're not there. So you have to deal with that and get over that. But you know, once you start to make friends with other kids at the boarding school, you know that kind of becomes your life. And this and, was a Hari Krishna boarding school, mm -hmm. and. Uh, yeah, so you adapt and, you know, I kept in touch with my mother through writing letters and she would send me books in German so I would read them and not forget my German while I was mm. there. It was, the boarding school was in English. So mm -hmm. I came there knowing maybe three or four words in English, so it was, it was hard. Mm. But, you know, I guess as a young child you assimilate quickly and you learn, yeah. pick up the new language. And so how long were you there? I was there for 18 months, a year and a half. 80, 1980 to 82 and uh, yeah. it was quite an experience looking back at it because I've gone back to the same place to Vrindavan as an adult now recently and the place has completely changed and, you know, I remember it being a sleepy little village with no cars, no technology, no television or radio or anything like that you know just, you know, the place of Krishna's pastimes that you read about in the books, you know? Yeah. And now you go back and it's just, it's, 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 it's a tourist attraction, you know? And there are hotels everywhere and, and the, the pilgrimage paths have been paved over so cars can drive on them and, you know, it's like constant well, traffic. Well, how much of that change is due to ISKCON? Because it seems to me that... I would think that some of it is, because we've kind of popularized Vrindavan you know, and, around and the, the world. And Westerners tend to have more money, and so, so they tend to bring that in. Once it becomes a little popular, it starts to show up in the guidebooks, you know, as the off-the-beaten-path kind of cool destination, and then even more people come, and, you know. So, you know, if you look in the Lonely Planet guidebook, you know, you'll see, oh, Mathura, Vrindavan, you know, a place of Krishna's pastimes, you know. Yeah. Did you, um, I mean, was it... Uh, nostalgic? Did you feel like something's been lost in Vrindavan because of that? There's an element of that. You know, you, you see all the people with their new technologies and just, you know, the craziness of what it is now. 
and, and you long for the, the peaceful, quiet village atmosphere that you remember, you know, as, mm -hmm. a, as a child living there. It was interesting, like you go down this, out of the temple courtyard, the Iskon temple, and you start walking towards the cowherd boy trail, that's the, uh, the pilgrimage trail that goes around Vrindavan. And it used to be just a, a dirt trail, you know, just and it's all paved now. And then where it makes a turn to the right, you make a turn to the left. And all of a sudden you feel like you're back in the old village again because mm. you're, you know, you're purposefully going in the wrong direction down a dirt road that, you know, you see on both sides of the road, you see fields of flowers being cultivated and Tulsi bushes and little huts with farmers in there that are cultivating the land. And that's what it was like before you know, and it's just like one turn to the left from the main pilgrimage route. So there are still little pockets, you know, that where you can see how it once was. Anyway, I mean, things change, times change, and and people nowadays they go there and they have a different experience. You, know, you can yeah. still kind of, you know, if you if you are in a meditative mood, I think you can find the holy place anywhere, even amongst all of the tourist distractions. So after 18 months, you came back to Frankfurt? I mean, to um After 18 to months, we came back to Germany with the intention of returning to India, but somehow it didn't work out. And uh, my mother had discovered that there was a, a Hare Krishna boarding school closer in France at the time, at our community there at New Mayapur in France. Another beautiful castle in really? the center of France. You must have thought this was a magic... Uh Hey, you know, we didn't have Harry Potter back then or anything like that, but you know, this was But you had Hari Krishna's and castles, cool, you know, castles everywhere. So, when I was 10 years old, we went to the boarding school, Hari Krishna boarding school in France, New Mayapur, which was a farm community with a castle in the middle and beautiful deities, Krishna Balaram, Radha Govinda Madhava, Gornitai. And we stayed there for 4 years. And that was from 10 till 16, so those were my formative teenage years mm. growing up there. Yeah. Now what I want to do is, is, is uh, draw a little bit of a comparison. So you, you were in uh, France mm -hmm. up until you're 16. Yeah. Right now you're, you're uh, driving um, mm -hmm. Hare, 12, 12, young Hare Krishna... 12 to 16 year olds 12 to across, 16 the country. across the country. Yeah. And what you said was that uh, at this time they're sort of taking ownership of their yes. yeah they're starting to ask identity. Those, those questions you know do I want to become a do I want to be a devotee of Krishna or is this just that something that my parents are doing you know now is this what you went through in France probably subconsciously and I don't remember consciously sitting there asking myself those questions but you know you're surrounded by an environment of here's what people do and this is you know, the lifestyle we live and we get up every morning and we chant and dance at the temple and we have uh, so many festivals and you know I think the Hare Krishnas have more festivals per year than any other religious tradition it's like every week there's a festival somewhere mm -hmm. so that you know it was just my life at the time now it's different because people don't live at the temple as much People, you know, some of the kids that travel with us, they may live in the congregation. They come once a week, or they come on Janmashtami, or at the big festivals. They don't really have that immersion experience. So when they come traveling with us, you know, especially, you know, they get to see, oh, there's so many other 
teenage kids my age who are also doing this, you know, who are also devotees of Krishna, they're asking themselves the same questions, they're trying to find their identity within it all. And when we show up at a temple and we are the attraction because, you know, the other devotees at the temple are like, wow, there, there is 30 kids in North America who are, you know, Hare Krishna, <laughs> that's, what, yeah, you know? That's, that's what like, I asked, yeah. Exactly. So, that, you know, there's that factor. So they actually appreciate the kids and they think it's cool. And, you know, and for them all to, to have that experience together, to go to a temple, actually get up consciously for the program, and, and the program is kind of structured around them, the, the, the morning lecture is, is structured so that it's easy to understand for the kids, you know. And, and we try to make it fun. We have swamis like Bhakti Mark Swami who travels with us from time to time, and he's really into theater and drama. So he'll do that on the tour with the kids, and he'll get them like really into acting and drama and portraying themes from Krishna consciousness through drama, through the arts. I don't know if you saw the presentation in the temple earlier today. Oh, I did, yeah. yeah so, oh, yeah, it was you know, a lot of things fun. like that. And the kids like it; they have fun. It's a group activity that kind of bonds them, you know, and and they learn about the philosophy through the theater and through the presentation. And it's something we can do to share to give back to the communities because they take care of us so nicely. Mm -hmm. You mean on like uh, your various stops? Yeah, so at every stop, you know, people are feeding us and, and taking care of us. Sometimes, you know, we on our bus, we actually have bunk beds for everyone in the bus. It's just like one giant RV mm -hmm. converted on the inside. So we're pretty self-sufficient, but it's nice to get out of that cramped clothes environment right. every once in a while. Right. So a lot of temples we go to, they'll be like, oh, you know, here's a, uh, here are three or four rooms that you guys can, you know, sprawl and spread out in, or, or a big hall, and then we, you know, sleep in the hall. And, uh, yeah, so people accommodate us and take care of us, and we want to give back a little bit. It feels good to be able to show something, you know, for the kids to present something. Mm -hmm. Now, this may be sort of an obvious question, mm -hmm. but do you want these kids to stay involved in Krishna consciousness? Well, sure. I mean, we want the child to choose that, mm -hmm. but we want to make it as attractive of a choice as possible. Mm -hmm. So we want to show them that Krishna consciousness can be a lot of fun. And if they have those kinds of memories, memories when they look back on their teenagehood, traveling with us and having you know, a, just a really good time, basically, then uh, hopefully that'll stick with them and it'll leave a lasting impression. Did, did you ever feel when you were younger that you were at a sort of a decision point, that you, 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 know, you sort of made the decision to stay involved? Or was it something that you sort of, you got into the stream of it and you just never left the stream? Hmm. It's interesting that you asked that question. I, after my experience in France, when I was 16, uh, the school closed there for various reasons, and there was no other school in Europe, no devotee Hare Krishna school. So at that point, my uh, parents made the decision. My father was living in Germany at the time, and, and they decided, okay, well, let's go finish your school in public school, you know. And. Uh, I did that. I, that was a huge shock for me, coming from a Hare Krishna devotee school back into the regular pub, uh, public high school system in Germany. And why? 
well, I had to finish my education. No, so but I mean, why was it a shock? It was a shock What was different? Well, my appearance, I had a Sika. Which is the... The, the ponytail at the back of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, I was the only vegetarian in my, my class. And I had a strange name, Manu, at the time. And I had, you know, the kids are like, so where are you from? So what do you do? So, you know, they want to know everything. So my story was, you know, I had had lived in India. I had lived in France. I had all these far out amazing experiences. And they had just lived in their village their entire life. I knew how to read and write Sanskrit. And I could write my name in Sanskrit and and the names of all the kids in my class, you know. (laughs) So that was an instant attraction. Like, how do you write my name in Sanskrit, you know? Uh But apart from that, you know, the, you know that that's kind of the cool factor. But there was definitely the the you don't want to stand out and you don't want to be different. You don't want to blend in and want to fit in at that age. And so, being a Hare Krishna in a German public high school was no fun in one sense. You know, mm. especially because the kids are into things that I wasn't you know, into. Partying. They're starting yeah. to get into smoking and things like that. And, just that whole scene, you know? Yeah. So that was difficult for me, being the only Hare Krishna kid in the public high school. And after three years of that, 18, 19, when I was around 19, I just told my dad at the time that, look, I have enough of this. I want to move back into the temple. I want to be where my other friends are. We actually had a reunion at our school in France. And after the reunion, I just... I said, this is my family, this is mm. who I want to be with, these are the kids I want to hang out with, you know. So I told my my, uh, my parents that, you know, I want to move into the temple, I want to be with this these kids. So when I was 19, I moved to England and joined the Hare Krishna movement as an adult. I guess I made that decision consciously. And mm-hmm. I think some of our youth don't have that choice sometimes, you know, they're just growing up in it, they are never removed from it. Yeah. You probably know about the, the Amish uh, Rumspringer. Mm, yes. Uh, where, yeah. you know, it's an official time of do what you want, and then at the end of it, make your choice. Yeah. I think that's not a bad idea. It's, but that's not something that really exists formally in... Yeah, we haven't... I mean, we're still a pretty young organization in the West. Mm-hmm. We're still trying to figure it out. But I think something like that will come. Well, we will have something like the Amish have where they just say, okay, check out the world, see how you like it, you know, mm-hmm. after you've had a solid upbringing and foundation in Krishna consciousness, so you really have a feel of what that is supposed to be. And uh, I think so, a lot of the Amish come back because they miss the tight-knit community and family that that represents. Mm-hmm. You know? When you go out there into the world, they realize that, you know, it's it's dog eats dog and, you know, nobody really cares about you, you know. Yes. Yeah, I, and I think uh, that is my impression. It's hard to find a place where anyone even cares hmm. about who you are, what you're going through. And it's a challenge for us as a religious society to try to create that environment for our young people that they feel loved and cared for, so yeah. they want to come back when they make that choice. You know? Yeah. Sometimes you go to a temple and it's not always that way, you know, people, it can get impersonal quickly, you know, people don't mm-hmm. talk to one another. And it's about sort of standards of behavior mm-hmm. rather than um, yeah. who and you are as a person. 
And right. we, we find that in our movement that the, the adult world has a very critical eye towards our own teenagers when it comes to dress code and behavior because you're supposed to be a certain way in the temple, you know. Mm -hmm. The adult understands that, and you know, they're coming to the temple for a completely different reason than the kids are. The kids are probably coming because other kids are going to be there, you mm -hmm. know, and they can play volleyball or something or, you know. <clears throat> well, how many... There's been what a couple of generations, yeah, to sort of at least begin to sort these things out. Mm -hmm. I think the first generation had it the hardest. Uh, yeah, um, very few of them are still around. And it, when you say still around, you mean in the movement or alive? In the movement. Okay. They're they're all alive for the most part. Uh -huh. It's just that you know it's it's a sad thing, but I guess from a uh, what do you call that, sociological perspective when you're trying to establish a new movement in a, in a foreign culture. I think there are some growing pains and we sadly learned, you know, what not to do with our first generation of young people. Mm. Mainly, you know, the adults' fanatical attitude of being too strict, too, you know, no, it's got to be this way and there's no, you know, and, and the young people were just like, forget it, I'm out of here, you know. There's right. no love. Where's the love? You know, yeah. this is supposed to be a movement about love. So uh, with our current generation, we're trying a different approach, and I think it's working, and, and I see a lot of the result of that with the young people that are traveling on our tour. What is the new approach? We're less fanatical. We're more tolerant, you know. If, if they're not perfectly dressed at the temple, it's not the first thing we point out to them, you know. Hi, how are you doing? You know, nice to see you at the temple, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it used to be that going to public school was a no-no, a taboo, you know? You don't go to the public school, you don't go and get a profession in the outside world, you know? It has to be insular and everybody stays within, you know? I mean, that was really the fanatical viewpoint, at, 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 you know, of some of the adults in the early days, because everybody thought, okay, we're just going to live as a commune for the rest of our lives. You yeah, know? and we don't want to be contaminated. Correct. And so, you know, that, that kind of mindset, hopefully we've matured and we're not stuck in that mode anymore. And so our young people are feeling more cared for and loved and encouraged to be who the best they can be for Krishna. So if that means become an airplane pilot, become an airplane pilot, you know, and you're encouraged to do that. In the old days, we might not have done that. You know? So we have people pursuing all kinds of professions now. And you know what surprises me sometimes is I hear about... Um Indians born in India mm -hmm. whose parents aren't too keen on them joining the <laughs> Hare Krishnas. Yes. So it's, it's like uh, the opposite effect of <laughs> what, what our problem is. <laughs> and but it's probably um, because we have a lot more involvement of Indian families in our movement today, congregationally, that that attitude has shifted because they're professionals. They're all about, you know, being successful in the world, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's just part of life is yes you are expected to be successful in the world and be a devotee of Krishna you know are you able to like do a, a sort of a an analysis here where you you look at the beginnings of the Hare Krishna movement you see a trend through time and project the continuation of that trend to sort of what the Hare Krishnas will become mm -hmm. do, are you able to to see into the future of this movement at all Hopefully, we'll be where the Mormons are today, you know, in 150 or 200 years. I have a lot of respect for the Mormons and others like them who've started with very little mm -hmm. and really become 
materially and spiritually successful as far as their mission and what they're trying to do. When you get to a point where you have 90,000 young people going, traveling as missionaries around the world every year, graduating Brigham Young University. Hey, you know, and, and they go, they do their two years of missionary work, they come back with a badge of honor, and now they get a preferred placement at any Mormon business, you know, there, there, there's a whole system to catch those people, you know, mm. and say, we're going to take care of you, you know, we're going to make sure that you have a, a place to work and take care of your family. And, you know. Now, in a way, that's um, <coughs> ambitious, but isn't it also a scaling back of the initial idea of mm. we're going to transform the world and everyone's going to be Krishna conscious? Or was that ever really a Well, you know, hopefully plan. that happens too. But, you know, I, mean, I, I understand it, both ways of looking at the world and I, I, I don't want to get trapped as far as the Hare Krishna movement is concerned. And I deal with this at Krishna.com also, how to mm. present ourselves. We're not just another religion. You know, mm -hmm. Lord Chaitanya did not come to start yet another religion. Well, yeah, that's sort of what I was wanted to get at. And, you know, Krishna consciousness is so much more. It, it's got so much to offer the world. It's got things to offer everybody who is already part of an organized religion, and it's got things to offer, you know, the, the secular world on so many levels. You know, it's a mentality. It's a, a way of looking at the world. It's a, a, a way to connect all the dots. That's something that drew my mother to Krishna consciousness, is she could make those connections. She was a yoga teacher, she had studied other philosophies, and when she read the Bhagavatam, she was like, oh my God, you know, it's connecting all the dots, and everything starts to make sense, you know? It's, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's like the, uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, <laughs> in, the, uh, in those terms. You know, you pick up the Bhagavatam, or any of these really deep scriptures that we have, and you realize that these sages are not just talking about a secular religion, they're talking about the way the world works on a much mm -hmm. grander level, you know? Uh, on a very fundamental level, how we're all interconnected as, as spirit souls. You know, this a, a big theme these days is all of the divisions, all of the racial divisions, the religious divisions, the wars that are fought over it. And when people start but, to realize um, that we're so interconnected, that we're actually spirit souls, we're not these external bodies. But can we bodies. can we linger for just a moment? Sure. On, you said that the wars that are fought over it, because and I was I, I was talking uh, to someone about this earlier. You know, the Bhagavad Gita, yeah, is spoken on a battlefield, and Krishna encourages Arjuna yeah. to fight in the war, to. And it's, it strikes me as like, well, how can you say as a movement you want people to stop fighting about religion mm -hmm. if that's what the Bhagavad Gita is sort of pro-fighting a war for religious principles? It's one of the great oxymorons of our <laughs> philosophy. I mean, it's... it's but it's um, almost like Krishna speaking the Bhagavad Gita on the battlefield was the perfect place to speak it. It was the worst of all scenarios, the worst possible scenario anybody could find themselves in. Arjuna is standing there looking at his teachers, his grandfathers, his, his relatives on the opposite side, and they have chosen to fight against them, and he has to pick up his weapons and fight. And what does a soldier do in that situation? Huh? But, but then to, 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 to make the step that say, mm -hmm. to say that if more people were Krishna conscious, yeah. there wouldn't there would be, be as much war. war, doesn't seem to jibe. 
Exactly. Now, maybe it's true, but I, I don't know. I would say that the, the war in the Bhagavad Gita is, is a completely different... It was fought on a different premise. Uh, um, different... The different, different premise and different outlook and different perspective. It wasn't fought on the perspective that, oh, on one side are the Christians, on the other side are the Muslims, let's kill each other. You know, my God is better than your God. It was a different kind of war. And I think the wars, wars that we're fighting nowadays are those kinds of wars. They're, they're petty in one sense because people really make it about their externals, you know, just because somebody's Muslim or just because somebody's Christian. And we've been doing this for, you know, since the Crusades. Yeah, and it's been but an ongoing struggle. It, so in a, in the, a, in the war a, of the Bhagavad Gita was, you know, you literally had the world uh, pitted against each other, good versus evil, and you know it was an inevitable battle, no matter how you looked at it. Those in those days, the uh, the other people were going to fight. It wasn't that Arjuna had a choice, you know, he either had the choice of infamy or the choice of, well, you, at least you tried, you know. And, uh, and Krishna was trying to help him out in that dilemma. And it was pur purposefully placed in that kind of scenario because, you know, Krishna was instructing all of us through Arjuna, you know, what to do in the toughest moments in our life. Not that we are ever... You know, we should hope that we were never faced with that choice that Arjuna had to make, where you, you know, faced with having to kill your own parents and grandparents, you know, on the other side of the battlefield. <clears throat> but really, Krishna was trying to take Arjuna out of that and say, look at it from a transcendental perspective. We are the soul, we are not the body, we are eternal, the soul can never be killed. You know, some things are inevitable, you know, this war is inevitable, you're not going to escape it. And yet, look at the, the spiritual aspect of it. Look at the um, <clears throat> the eternal aspect and how Krishna says that I am time and I am, you know, by my energy of time already all of these things are happening anyway, you know, in one sense, you know, and we teach our children this, that, you know, because they ask the same questions when we have Bhagavad Gita study groups. Mm -hmm. And we explain to them that actually, you know, the material world is a world of strife and, and dichotomies and, and, and disagreements by design. It's meant to be that way. We come here for a reason, to learn certain lessons. And that, as one of our ISKCON gurus controversially, he has a lecture series that says, nobody was ever killed on the battlefield of Kurukshetra, or, you know, nobody was ever, nobody ever died. And, and the controversy is, of course, you know, their souls lived, and, and we're eternal, and, you know, and that was also Krishna's teaching. He was trying to explain to Arjuna that we are not the body. We are the spirit soul. The soul cannot be harmed by, by fire, but, you know, it can't be destroyed. And so what I'm, the point I'm trying to make is our kids, they're so into playing computer games these days. They're stuck in these virtual realities. And we often make the comparison in our Bhagavad Gita study that what if life was just like that computer game, life in the material world, you know? You're given a certain set of circumstances, a cer certain parameters, and by the end, you get so completely immersed in it. You know, when you die in the computer game, it almost feels like you've really died, you know? But really, what if, you know, you take a step back and, and you look at it from a different perspective, and life in the material world is kind of like that for the soul mm -hmm. that's trapped inside of a, an ex a body, inside of an experience, you know, for a limited amount of time. 
and we try to explain our philosophy in that way. And I think if, if everybody got it, if, if the message that we're not the body, that we are this eternal spirit soul within, if that message actually permeated society, there would be less wars fought over petty external differences. Mm -hmm. Like I said, it wasn't the, the all good versus evil battle of uh, Middle Earth or whatever, you know, in, in the Lord of the Rings series. Just to draw a comparison, because that's what people are familiar with, you know. Mm -hmm. The Middle Earth is about to come to an end unless this battle is fought between good and evil, and that's kind of the Bhagavad Gita, you know. It's on that kind of battlefield. You're never going to get away from the war, Arjuna. You know, I don't know what you're thinking, you know. Running away is not going to solve the problem. <clears throat> I don't think we can compare that kind of a situation to the wars that we're fighting these days. And those kinds of wars can be avoided, especially if they're just fought over external differences. I'm actually a fan of um, genealogy as well. It's one of my hobbies. Mm -hmm. So I, on that level, I'm also making the connection that we're all related in so many different ways. Because the further you go back studying your ancestors, you realize that, wait a minute, you know? We intersect and overlap, and you know, all those people who came across the boat on the Mayflower, you know, there's 20,000 descendants in the United States right now, you know, and there's so many cousins and nephews. And uh, National Geographic recently did this geno human genome yes, project. Yes, I think my father sent in uh, hmm. a, a, a cheek swab or something. Yeah, and, uh, and, and the surprising thing is that people are realizing that they're related on so many levels in, in, in ways that they never thought would have been possible, you know? Yeah. And there, there's videos on YouTube of people just being in, in complete shock that you know they're related to a black person, or vice versa, you know, yeah. and like they, you know they have a white person in their in their ancestry, or you know that we all somehow came from Africa, you know, <laughs> originally through our genes, and, and it's an eye opener on so many levels, and I think it goes hand in hand with our Krishna conscious philosophy that we're spirit souls, we're part of, you know, we have the same father and mother universally. If you believe in a creator and if you believe in God, we may not be that different, you know, to, to well, kill how, each other how over it. Well, how effective is this philosophy in diffusing uh, Christian, Muslim, Jewish tensions? Hmm. Hmm. Asking all the good questions today. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Christian, Muslim, <laughs> Well, you're never going to you know, answer the question of a fanatic. You know, you have the religious fanatics who are, who are on one side, and you have the moderates and the, the thinkers on the other side. And I think on the interfaith level, there is a lot to be said for getting together and studying how, how similar we are, you know, how much we share and have in common. We believe in one God. We're not, you know, polytheists, polytheists as everybody automatically thinks that every, every Hindu is a polytheist. Actually, 70% of Hindus are Vaishnavas, which means they worship Vishnu or Krishna. So mm. they're, they're theists. And there's one main god and many demigods who are just agents of that supreme person. And, uh, you know, on a theological level, we, we have a lot in common and we can share that with people. When, when I think when leaders of other religious traditions engage in this kind of dialogue and realize in private, because in public they can't admit to it, 
at the moment, but when they realize amongst one another in discussion that we're talking about the same God, you know, the God of the Bible, the God of the Bhagavad Gita, the God of the Quran, they're not, there's not three different gods competing for one another up in the sky somewhere, you know. And when people realize that on at least an intellectual level, I think it'll start to trickle down and there'll be less animosity and less tensions between these um, traditions. I think our founder, Srila Prabhupada, was very eager to collaborate with other religious traditions and bring mm -hmm. them on, this, on the same page, saying, we're working together, you know, we're, we're, we're fighting the same fight. You know? There is materialism out there, there is atheism out there, there are, and there are people out there who are trying to become, become God and somehow are on this, you know, path thinking, you know, someday I'll become God if I try hard enough. Well, don't Mormons believe that? I, you know, to be honest, I don't know enough to know the intricacies mm. of, you know. Yeah. So do you have to um, brush up on your young adult fiction in order to be able to uh, yes. know what these kids are talking about? Yeah, well, if, like if I don't brush up, I'll be educated on it oh. by them. So, <laughs> right. Know, all the so Harry Potter stuff. Harry Potter, and, yeah. yeah. Lord of the Rings. Yeah, we have to use our current analogies. Mm -hmm. Lord of the Rings is multi-generational. I, I, you know, I was reading that when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. But what and what do you think of the um, the state of affairs among the the young people mm. in the Hare Krishna movement? Like, um, you're you're sort of seeing them up close. Yeah. and seeing their behavior, um, do you see a difference between the previous generation, or do you see a sort of a trend in a direction? I see a lot more participation, wanting to voluntarily participate in programs. The young people get into the cultural aspects a lot, I've noticed. They're really into the music and the kirtan, you know, mm. the singing, the dancing, the playing, the instruments, and they really you know, dive deep into that aspect and, and for the girls the, the dancing and presentations that they did in the temple room earlier today. So they, there's an, an interest in that aspect. We're trying to get them more interested in actually reading the philosophy. You know, Prabhupada's books. Mm -hmm. And so we do that, we incorporate how, that how in the programs. How receptive are they to that? Hmm? How, how receptive are they to the Books. It depends on how it's presented. I think we try to present it in an interesting way. We do a once-a-week Bhagavad Gita study group at my house in Florida. Mm -hmm. we, we live in the Alachua community of devotees in, in northern Florida, and we have about 150 young people in our community. And of 150? Those, of those, about 40 of them come to our house every week for Bhagavad Gita study. And my wife cooks really nice food, prasadam, for them. Mm. And it's a family atmosphere, and, mm. and their friends are there, and you know, so it's a social scene. As part of that, we spend 20 minutes chanting japa at the beginning, then we do an hour's reading and discussing Bhagavad Gita, and then we have prasadam, and it's a social scene, and everybody talks and you know, shares and how the week's been going. not going to get that sort of kind or quality of interaction anywhere else, right? Like, this is the sort of thing that if they were, when they're 18, they're out on their own, they're making decisions, mm -hmm. they're going to remember this. Yeah. This is going to be an influential and hopefully their friends, their... hopefully a good number of their friends will be other, you know, Hare Krishna devotee kids their age, and you know, so they draw upon that for support. 
yeah. through later in life. Those are their buddies that they grew up with, you know, their yeah. childhood friends. And they've all gone to Bhagavad Gita study together. They've gone on these bus tour trips around the country with us and you know, had a great time, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I see that the shift, I see that, you know, previous generations, the, the earlier generations we talked about, they, you know, for various reasons, understandable reasons, don't show as much interest now to be a member or participate because of the negative the negativity they experienced from the adult world, you know, mm. growing up. From adults in the movement? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just trying to be, you know, just the things that teenagers go through naturally and the adults weren't very understanding of that at the time. Right. And I see a, a marked difference now with the current generation that just, there's not that antagonism, us against them, and, and we don't like them over there, you know, it's more of a It family. sounds healthier. Much healthier, I think. You know, I would hope that we've matured. Yeah. And is there a similar thing going on in India? Is there sort of an increase in the health of ISKCON there too? Or are, I think the rest of the world is a little behind, trailing behind North America because we've had the um, the oldest Hare Krishna schools and uh, communities with parents and you know kids growing up here in the U.S. and Canada, and so we we're a little ahead of the curve as far as experiences and you know what we've learned from that and and how we've adopted or adapted to you know better try to keep our teenagers interested mm-hmm. and I think India and other places may be a little behind as I'm traveling I'm noticing you know mm. things that they're doing or saying and I'm like hey we tried that 10 years ago and it didn't work so well in, in the US you know huh. but uh, but I wish everyone the best and I obviously wish that we learn from our mistakes and don't repeat them yeah and also I think the culture is different in India it's very you know structured family rigid more rigid i would say you know of what the expectations are when you grow up in in an indian family Mm -hmm. it's very it's very clear what you know you're expected to do some of us come from more hippie backgrounds Mm -hmm. yeah not necessarily a good thing so do you think are you going to retire in alachua I haven't thought about my retirement yet, but, you know, it's probably 20 years away. Mm. Um, and if I keep doing what I'm doing, I'll end up retiring in Alachua. I'm starting to feel my age. I'm 45 now. I'm not the young person I once was. And uh, having a hard time keeping up with the energy oh level boy. of the young people. Yeah, bus full of... Bus full of young people, Yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, <laughs> I, I shouldn't <laughs> sound so gloomy about that prospect. I'm sure it's fun in many oh, ways. Oh, yeah. It's especially fun for the young people. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I'm starting to notice my age. We went into the Grand Canyon last summer with them, and for the first time we hiked the Bright Angel Trail that takes you down into the Grand Canyon. And we don't hike all the way down. It's too hard in the middle of the summer. Yeah. But you start early, early at 5 in the morning before th- as the sun is rising. And you get about halfway down, and there's a uh, rest room with drinking water and everything to freshen up at the three-mile point. And then you turn back around and come back up. Going down, no problem. 
coming back up. Those kids were just running ahead of me, and I'm like huffing and puffing. I'm like, I just can't keep up with them anymore. I'm supposed to be, you know, with them to supervise them, but they're running way ahead. You know, obviously we have uh, chaperones at the front, in the middle, and at the back. Mm -hmm. I ended up falling to the back with a walkie-talkie. How's it going up there? You know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, definitely. So retiring in Alachua, perhaps retiring on a tour somewhere, traveling. We do these, uh, our older youth travel in Mexico for three weeks every December, Christmas vacation time. And we put on many festivals in towns across Mexico. Mm -hmm. Krishna Culture Festival, uh, you know, chanting, dancing, drama, uh, cultural presentation, a little bit of the philosophy, book tables, prashadam, food distribution at the end. And literally, the, the young people do everything. Like, not like in North America, when we come to a big festival, let's say that Washington, D.C., Rathayacha, we show up, everything's already taken care of. You know, the, there's a group of support people who've done everything. They figured out how to cook the food, you know, everything's mm -hmm. done. No, we show up the day of, we have to book the festival first, make all the arrangements, we show up in the town, us, all the teenage kids come, they help set up, they put up the festival, they set up the stage, they get everything ready. They perform on the stage, they do the kirtan, the dance, the drama, the theater, everything, the lights, the sound. They're staffing the book tables, greeting the guests as they come in, greeting the guests as they leave at the end. And uh, on the bus, we have a commercial kitchen at the back of our bus. My wife is back there cooking with a team of young ones, you know, teenagers, and they're cooking the feast for everyone. And so by the end of the, the festival, you see we've, we, meaning all of these young people together, 30 young people, we have just done this. We have put on a beautiful festival for this crowd, and it was their first ever experience of Krishna consciousness, chanting the Ma Mantra, reading one of Prabhupada's books, you know, or having a plate of prasadam. And when the teenagers see the effect that it's having on other people, you know, when they're, when they're standing on stage and they're, they're singing, and they see people in the audience crying and how it's moving them and affecting them on a very deep level, they're having realizations of their own about, mm -hmm. you know, the value of what they're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, that maybe there's something to this maybe this mantra really works you know there's got to be something here for these people to have this amazing experience and afterwards when they're standing there and everybody's coming out of the auditorium and they're shaking hands and, and the, the people are telling them in spanish and broken english how much they appreciated it and you know were moved by the presentation it, it really affects the teenagers on a uh, on a heart level and I think those are some of those transformational moments, some of those aha moments, you know, where they realize, oh, there's something to this, you know, and, and I want to do this. I, I don't just have to do it because my parents are doing it or mm. some other external reason. You know, I've, I've mentioned this to some other people before. One of the things that struck me, uh, the first time I was in a Hare Krishna temple was in Chicago. Mm. And somebody walked up to me with a flower. Hmm. And at first I went to grab the flower and they're mm -hmm. like, no, 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 just smell it. Yeah. And I smelled it. And then they walked away. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that doesn't happen anywhere. That never happened in my life mm -hmm. where a stranger walked up and said, smell this flower. 
and uh, and just walked away. It was it was a beautiful moment, but it's also it's de rigueur. <laughs> I mean, it, it happens all the time in Hare Krishna temples, and there's these little touches of yeah. kindness, and 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 like these these moments at these festivals, hmm. where you you think, well, where else does this happen? It doesn't seem to happen too much yeah. anywhere else. Perhaps other missionary groups, you know, other mission trips that do this, but I'm not sure if they do what we do, you know. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I would hope that our teenagers have that kind of experience, or at least reflecting back on their times doing those things. That, you know, that the little magic touches, mm -hmm. those yeah. magic moments. And we certainly have those experiences as well. There's tons of amazing stories where just the unexpected happens and destiny is just kind of like, wow. You know? Yeah. We say destiny, but, you know, Krishna's intervention. Yeah. And this is something I, I, I often want to know, and that is, um, like, where do you find, hmm. in, in the practice, in the festivals, and in, in everything that goes on, where do you find the most solace or the hmm. most um, happiness? And probably in those moments when you're standing on a stage presenting Krishna consciousness to an audience of 500 villagers in a village in Mexico who have never heard anything about it. Uh -huh. And you're encouraging them to chant, teaching them the mantra so they can chant along with us. And then when you observe them getting into it and you just start to see tears rolling down their eyes, down their cheeks, and you're like, where is it coming from? What's causing this? Hmm. Why are they? Why are they feeling this? You know, and I'm not feeling it. Mm. And, and so I think those magic moments, you know, when when you see the effect it's having on other people, you start yeah. to realize the uh, the value of what it is that we have. You know? Yeah. And like I was mentioning, the little miracles and magical moments. You know, we were we were in the south of Mexico in the state of Chiapas, and we had no place to go. The person who normally organizes the festivals was out of station. They couldn't help us last last winter. So I went on the internet, I went on Facebook, I said, who's following us in this part of the country? Who's a friend, you know, just on Facebook? And I just randomly contacted the only person I could find, you know, right away. I said, we're looking for somebody to help us organize a festival, you know, in your state, you know, we're here. It's like, it's like, well, my sister works at the Department of Culture, the Ministry of Culture for the state of Chiapas. Let me ask her. Turns out his sister was the boss of the Ministry of Culture. She was, she was like in charge of the Ministry of Culture for the state. And they happened to have a... December was the cultural month in the state of Chiapas, and they were looking for cultural presentations. And we had asked for one festival. She was like, we, we want you to do four festivals in four different cities, and we'll provide everything, the stage, we'll pay for the advertising, you know, just show up. And we're like, wow. How did that happen? How did that happen? Yeah. Just by contacting this guy who befriended us on Facebook. So you just start to see these amazing connections and, mm -hmm. and just arrangements that happen when you put yourself out there on a limb. Like, you know... Mexico is not necessarily the safest place to go these days, especially if we believe everything in the media about, you know, the drug wars and everything. And, and some of the parents are worried sending their teenagers on our tour to Mexico. And you just, you know, you're in the middle of nowhere in southern Mexico. You're trying to put on a Krishna culture festival. You need a little bit of help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
and Krishna sends help, and it's just in amazing ways that we would have never expected. Mm. You know, and these are people who are working for a secular government. They're supposed to not promote religion, you know, at their festival. And I'm telling them, look, we're the Hare Krishnas, and look, this is what we do, and here's videos of our previous festivals. And they're like, no problem. Here's the <laughs> stage. Here's the stage, please, you know. I guess they must not have a lot of cultural diversity there and they you know, looked at us and said this is some beautiful diverse culture Bharat Natyam dances, beautiful mantra chants and you know Indian vegetarian food mm. yeah so those are the moments that keep me going and also interacting with other devotees in ISKCON who and asking them that question you know I'm usually the one doing the interviewing mm. and I ask them the question what motivates you after 40 years in the movement you know what keeps you going and to see so many sincere souls who are still practicing the process, who are still getting something out of it, you know. There's got to be something to it. And in the end, I guess it's back to Pascal's wager. Well, maybe, for some. I think there are people... But there's a life worth living, right? You know, and, and you live it well, and you... And you you. Yeah, but and there's also some people who are just—they just believe in God. Mm. They just do. And then there's other people who, 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 who go the Pascal's Wager mm -hmm. avenue of well, let's gamble. Uh, you know, if I'm going to gamble, let me gamble. Uh, this is the more intelligent wager. Right. And then there's people who are just like I, 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 I just don't feel anything. I'm sorry. You if know. If you believe in God, if you're starting at that premise. The Hare Krishna movement has a lot of fun to offer you. Yeah. It's a fun religion. It's all about festivals and, and having a joyful time. Mm -hmm. It's kind of what I would imagine the Southern Baptists to be like at their service when they're just going for it and having a, an mm -hmm. awesome, amazing time, you know? Yeah. Except that we get to do that morning and evening and then, you know, these huge festivals twice a month. Yeah, some, uh, some of our uh, party-going hippie parents would say something like, you know, it's, it's a party every morning in the temple room. <clears throat> yeah. And what more could you ask for? Yeah, sort of the, um, the hippie, you, hippie ever, dream. Have you ever of... been to a Hare Krishna Kirtan when it goes real crazy and wild? Yeah, and it is pretty ecstatic. And I think ecstatic is the right word. You know, at least people, it's meant to be ecstatic. I don't know if people are always in that consciousness. But yeah. Well, no, not every time, uh, not always. But but it, it can become ecstatic, mm -hmm. and in in the true sense of that word. Yeah. Something that we talk to our young people a lot about is try to live an extraordinary life. Don't just settle for ordinary. Mm -hmm. you know, there's so many people out there; they're just settling for ordinary, and ordinary is good enough. Yeah. Put in a touch of extraordinary. Go the extra mile. Try it. There's so much, so much to be gained. Hmm. I think the Krishna consciousness, the Hare Krishna movement, and Krishna consciousness, as such, can add extraordinary value to anybody's ordinary life. And we have that little extra. The extra yeah. touch, the, the extra color. I think that's a very nice note on which to end this uh, mm -hmm. interview. And thank you very much, uh, Manoram.
Manuram Das. Yes. And you've been listening to the Questions for the Sages podcast. I'm Michael Scherer. Thanks for listening. Thanks again to Manoram Das, and I hope you have a great time traveling with the youth ministry this summer. Thanks to Rico Hayes for the theme music, and to Miriam Lansky for discussions about how to approach the subject matter of the podcast. And as always, thanks to the Hare Krishna community of Potomac, Maryland, for making this podcast possible. I'm Michael Sharon, and you've been listening to Questions for the Sages. Mm-hmm.